From Everything Financial, welcome to episode five of the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm John Abbott, and he is Peter Sashecki from Everything Financial, the president of Everything Financial. And uh, we want to thank everybody for the excellent feedback we've had for our first four episodes. Lots uh, have enjoyed hearing about mortgages in episode four with uh, V-Tree. A uh, big thank you to those that have already subscribed as well. We invite you to continue uh, to share our podcast on all the platforms like, uh, review, rate and subscribe uh, YouTube channel as well, or on everythingfinancial.com. Very much appreciated. Peter, today we've got some fun in store because it is the, it's the Ask Peter segment, uh, which is terrific based on our listener feedback. Uh, for those that have emailed into everythingfinancial.com, your money at everythingfinancial.com. Uh, it's the Ask Peter Anything officially episode. Uh, we have plenty of different uh, listeners questions to get to but i know this is something you really enjoy is being able to uh, take real world problems from uh, our, our listener group and be able to help people that's the business you're in you bet i mean this is good because we've been getting a lot of feedback and we thought you know what it's it's sometimes tough just to get all those answers back to people in a timely fashion and i've always found if one person has a question there's a ton of other people out there who have the same question they're just sometimes afraid to ask they're not sure so yeah, this will give you and I today a great opportunity to unfiltered, no handcuffs on me, just give them the straight goods, give them the answers, and hopefully people learn something from it. That's the whole point of this is educating the public on their finances. And I'll probably sneak a few of my own in there too, because uh, I think we're all in this together on the topic of uh, finances and financial planning. And yeah, but you can come ask any time, so come on. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, well, let's start with uh, the retirement um, aspect of things, because uh, that's something that, uh, based on your Omni formula, is one of your most successful plans, obviously. Um, but there's a, a simple question involved is, how much money do you really need for retirement? Because that seems to fluctuate. People have a grand plan in their, in their mind or a number they have to reach. What's your opinion on that? Ever heard of the saying, baffle them with BS? I've heard of it. <laughs> Because that's what the banks do. That's what the mutual fund sales people do. They do. They baffle them with BS. They give them all these crazy formulas. You need six times the national gross product of Botswana land and da-da-da-da. And they give them all these scenarios. That's not true. It's real simple. It is very simple. First thing you have to do, figure out your cash flow. Figure out what you spend on a monthly basis. Then you have to have enough money in income when you retire to earn $1 more than you spend. So I'll give you an easy, relatively easy example for this. Say your expenses are $5,000 a month. Just, just pick that easy number right. out of the year, $5,000 a month. And when you retire, you're gonna get, let's say $2,500 between CPP, old age security for you and your spouse. Maybe there's a little pension money in there, whatever the case may be. Then you need to cover the other $2,500 a month. So how much money is it going to take to produce $2,500 a month? And really what you do is you take a lump sum of money and the recommendations are by the Financial Planning Standards Council that we use in our Omni formula, you take a maximum of 5% net rate of return after fees. And there you go. You've got, you know, you've got your figure. So in that, you know, I mean, $600,000 at 5% is $30,000 a year. Oh, look, I've got my $2,500 a month. If you have $600,000, that's 
then you're based on that little example, you're only spending interest. And that's one of the keys. When you retire, people say, oh, you only need 75% to what you were spending beforehand. And again, they give you all these different examples and scenarios. Not true. It's just not true. I've been doing this 30 years. Nobody spends less at retirement than they did the day before retirement. They just spend it different. Here's the other thing. If you use that scenario and you base it on 100%, so you're spending interest only, this is a real technical financial term, so everyone learn this. You have, you know me, you have room for error. What if you don't calculate your spending properly? Because everybody lies. No client tells me exactly what they spend, not really because they're lying, just because they don't know, they have trouble tracking it. You have room for an increase in inflation. And then you have room for about three COVIDs. That's the saying of the day. Oh, or three no kidding, 2008 recessions. Yeah, you have room for the market to really give back and have a correction. So room for error. Always base your retirement on never touching your principal because at some point you will have to touch your principal and then it gives you leeway. And by the way, you spend the most amount of retirement money in the first 10, 15 years, you know, between ages 65 and 75 is when you're going to spend your most. Well, we've tried to, to collect these questions and put them in some kind of a, uh, an order based on following things up. And I think this is a great one because it's uh, when you think of retirement and, and you talked about interest and that certainly seems to be the way to go, but it could be very easy to eat into your savings fast. And another way that can happen is the fees that you're paying. So what is the best way to know how much uh, you're paying in fees on your savings? Uh, what percentage is too high in that, in that category? Anything over about anything over about two, two and a half percent is too high. Um, I'll give you a couple quick scenarios on fees and I'll give you an example from the other day. We had a gentleman come in who says with this company, this mutual fund company, I've been earning nothing. I've been putting money with there for 10, 15 years, blah, blah, blah. And we went through every deposit he's had and he's made a little more than he thought. He's made about a third of a percent. We looked at the rate of return on the portfolio and then independently there is software available that me as a registered financial planner, I have to be hundred percent transparent. So I buy this piece of software every year that shows you every fee of every mutual fund in Canada. All those embedded fees they don't tell you about. So we went through it. His average fee was between 4.4 and 4.7%. Way too high if you're only making five. So his net was a half to a third of a point. Mutual fund salespeople will do two things. And this drives me crazy in Canada because it's just brutal. They will tell you the MER. They don't have to, but they're starting to tell you the MER, management expense ratio. And they say that's the only fee. Just not true. Just plain not true. There's two or three other fees, depending if it's a segregated fund, which is a type of mutual fund or a mutual fund. It's an insurance company mutual fund. They tell you that one fee. Or here's even worse. At the end of every year now, they have to come out with this statement that shows you the trailer fee. That's the commission being paid to the mutual fund salesperson. Fair enough, they have to make a living. They're selling that though as being the only fee you pay. The trailer fee comes out of the MER, management expense ratio. It's only a third to a half a point, in some cases as high as one point out of a two and a half percent MER. So it's just not true. The only people who have to disclose their fees 100% as a fiduciary, and they're all the only ones who are a fiduciary where they have to put you first, not the salesperson, 
is portfolio management companies. They're the only ones who have to disclose every fee. Everybody else, it's embedded and they're not showing you the full fee. And that's just not fair. If you went to get your car fixed, wouldn't you want an estimate and know how much you're going to pay? You go to the dentist, you want to know what you're paying. Your biggest asset, your income, your savings for retirement, and you don't have a clue what you're paying, that's just criminal. It's Canada is so far behind, it's ridiculous. Well, that leads us to the difference in countries uh, on our next topic. Uh, listeners saying, hey, listen to episode four on mortgages. And uh, you're the home for mortgages now as well at Everything Financial. Um, and so we're going to be talking about more of that throughout our podcast series. Uh, but how can you deduct the cost of mortgage interest on your home, much like those in the U.S. are doing? Is that possible? How do you do that in Canada? Absolutely. It's absolutely possible, John. What you do couple different ways. Say you have an existing mortgage right now. Let's start with that. But you have savings that is not in an RSP, not in a TFSA. So just what we call non-registered or taxable savings, which means if you earn money on it, you pay tax on that earnings. You can take that money and put it against your mortgage. So say it's something small right now. Say it's, I mean, small is relative term, obviously. But say it's $25,000 you put against your mortgage. Even if it's a big mortgage, you put $25,000 against it. You have to leave that money on deposit for 31 days. This is a CRA rule. After 31 days, you can pull that money out and now invest it in a non-registered or taxable, as I said, product, not a TFSA, not an RSP. The interest on that portion of your mortgage is now tax deductible. The management fee, even if it's small, like one and a half, two percent on investing that $25,000 with a portfolio management company because the fee is disclosed, is now tax deductible. You earn money on the $25,000. Take the earnings, put it into an RSP. Mm. You get another tax deduction. You do all these things and you take the tax savings at the end of the year put it against your mortgage and pay down another portion of your mortgage and say it's a couple grand. Suddenly the next year, the 25,000 is now 27,000 and so on and so on and so on. I did this scenario for a lot of people. We've built a computer program that actually figures it out to the penny based on your tax rate. I did one the other day for a client who's only in the second tax rate, 28.2 BC tax rate. That's the, that's the tax rate between BC and the federal government combined. She did $80,000 on a mortgage that was, the balance of her mortgage right now was 265. So she did another $80,000 into an investment. The cost of the interest on the $80,000 was made up for just in the tax savings. So she was getting a refund to offset the $200 a month that she was paying on the $80,000, we knocked off 12 years of her mortgage. So in other words, in 12 years, the investment account had grown to the point she could just cash it in and pay off the balance of the mortgage. From 25 to 12 years, that's insane. But there's one other thing. All those years of putting into the RSP, it also built up at only 5% is what we used all of a sudden she had another seventy-five to $80,000 in RSPs that she never had before as well. Paid off mortgage in half the time and RSPs to boot. And it doesn't have to be big. It can be just a little start just to get you going. And that's important uh, because as we're talking about 
allocating money here and finances and trying to plan for, you know, a positive end to our working lives, uh, then these little snags come along like a pandemic. And uh, it's, it's hard to, at times, to convince people to put something aside just in case. And yet here we are in this time where many probably could have used that 10 times over. So uh, what is your opinion on an emergency fund and how much should you have available in a, a little uh, nest egg, so to speak, in an emergency to be available to help you out in case you find yourselves in dire straits in a time like this? Well, there's a little misnomer about savings for an emergency fund. People think it should be just in savings account. A TFSA can be a great emergency fund, but not sitting in some crappy bank daily interest account because a TFSA, tax-free savings account, the whole purpose is not to pay tax on the interest you earn. If you're earning a half a percent or less right now in daily interest, the tax you save won't even buy you a Coke at dollar drink days at Mickey D's. Forget Starbucks and a triple macchiato latte, blah, 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 whatever, because those are like eight bucks or something like that. So, so you're not really saving. Put it in a good account that's meant for longer term savings in a TFSA, invest it properly, use a portfolio manager, people. Don't waste your money on fees. The nice thing about a TFSA, if you've built up enough to have about three or four months income in there in case something does happen, you can pull the money out of the TFSA. But say, let's look positive. The pandemic, fortunately, you come out on the right side of it with your job, whatever the case may be. Uh, God willing, you thank you very much if you're a first responder working in a hospital or something like that and, you're, and, and you've got work, but you know, you're, doing, you're doing the lion's share of the work for everyone else out there. But then you can say, oh, I don't need the money for savings, but I've worked a crap load of overtime and I'm going to have a big tax bill. Then you can say with the TFSA money, I'll move some of that to my RSP to save on taxes next year. You take the refund of the RSP, you can replenish your TFSA, you can have it for an RSP for next year, or you can say, whew, the pandemic's over, I'm taking my RSP money and I'm going on a holiday. Lots of choices, but it all starts with a well thought out and a well orchestrated plan. Without a plan, you're going nowhere. And you know how many people in Canada have a plan, an actual real financial plan, not a projection. You put this away, you will have this later on, but an actual plan, less than 3%. It's I'm guessing not very many. <laughs> no, not very many. Not very many. We're, we're trying to get our share of them um, a little bit at a time, but I don't need the other 97%. I'll take 1% of the other 97% and help them out because that'll keep me busy forever. Well, that's why we're reaching out to people and we thank them for listening to the, the Your Money Financial podcast, uh, Peter Sashecki, answering your questions, your feedback. Uh, this is one of the most important segments, I think, because it, it is uh, that much more relatable and it is uh, the beginnings of uh, why people would come to see you at Everything Financial, uh, questions like these. Uh, another one comes in, what percentage of income, Peter, is the right amount to save for retirement? Someone said 20%. Is that possible given our current climate, especially where we're located in Vancouver, BC, with the, the cost of living so high even through this time? Yeah, I got to tell you this one. Um, it, it, there is no exact amount because it depends on what's affordable. Again, we get back to the first question of the podcast today is you have to work. It's, it's backwards engineering. Figure out your goal, what you need. Go to your starting point, like in our, in our 
GPS formula with our Omni formula. It's called GPS, Guidance Performance Strategy. But it is designed like a GPS in your car. You got to know where you are. You got to know where you're going. And then you got to backwards engineer what's going to take to get from here to here. And that's the income you need. Throwing out percentages is salesmanship by banks and mutual fund companies. They're trying to say, hey, give us 20%. Give us this. Give us that. What if you have a pension? You're a nurse, healthcare worker, firefighter, police officer, whatever the case may be. You have a really good pension. Not quite enough, but it's going to give you a head start. You have CPP. You have old age security. The amount you need just to pick up the bridge, pick up the difference is quite small. Build a plan, backwards engineer it, figure it out. And, and just going into that plan. So this isn't, I mean, yes, it's our podcast and kind of thing and everything else, but I'm going to just beg people do this. When you want to build a plan, everyone's not going to come see me. I know that. Find first off a registered financial planner, which we jokingly refer to as a real financial planner. They're the only financial planning degree that has to give full transparency, full disclosure of every fee they get paid. They're not a commission financial planner. It's not based on sales. It's based on solutions. First off, do that people. Secondly, if you're a financial planner, first question you should always ask financial planner, are you dealing with a portfolio management company? If they say no, your question should first be, why not? Your next question should be, pick up the paperwork and go to the door and find another one. Because again, those are the fiduciaries, the, the portfolio managers who look out for you. They don't answer to me. They answer to you. So getting back to it, sorry, I go on a rant sometimes, I know. No, that's good. I educate people. I got to teach them. But there is no exact amount for savings. Sorry to not give you a direct answer because it is based on the plan. You've got to break it down to the bare bones basics, work backwards because what's 20% for you might be 3% for someone else. Here's a funny stat though. Millennials can't save for retirement. The average person spends about 15 to 20% on their housing costs. Normally, do you know millennials, why they, the biggest problem with millennials, and this is a true stat. I was in a conference last week and there was millennials talking about financial planning and why they can't save. And here's the biggest answer. Do you know what the millennials housing costs are? 55%. Do you know why millennials housing costs are 55%? They all freaking think they should live in downtown in the city. Wait a minute. When I had to buy my first house, I went out to a suburb. My parents went out to a suburb. I went out to a further suburb and so on and so on. They all think they're entitled to live downtown where your costs are 55%. So don't give me this crap about Vancouver's expensive, Toronto's expensive. Everything's relative to what you make. Every city's expensive downtown. Maybe you have to take transit and live outside of downtown or you know something like that. Maybe you have to start off with a lower price place and work your way up. And it might take you till, oh my gosh, till you're 45 to live downtown. You can't do it at 22 or 23 or 24. Maybe if you take a step back, you can take three steps forward and eventually get the desired goal of the downtown place. Just saying. Yeah, you know what? It's a beautiful city and it uh, goes outside the downtown. So you have a point there. We're, we're fortunate to be in a, in a province where uh, the allure, in my opinion, stretches beyond the, the little city center core. And Absolutely. I think in a, in a smaller, um, smaller all-encompassing point, it's you know, live within your means to some extent, right? And uh, that has to be part of this plan too. 
Yeah, for sure. You, you, you have to, everything starts out with cash flow. I hate the B word, budget, but cash flow is important. You have to figure out what your cash flow is. The pie is only so big. You can only cut it into so many slices. That's part of what a plan is. Figuring out the priorities, figuring out the goals, and then decide what piece goes where to reach a little bit. You're not going to reach all your goals right away. You can't achieve 100% of everything. But if you can do 50 to 75% of each goal first time out, you're way ahead of the game. Start slow, work towards a goal, you will get there. and Knock them off one at a time. That's part of a well-thought-out, well-organized plan. Not maximize your RSPs and maximize your TFSAs. That's salesmanship. When people start saying, how do you get somewhere? And they start saying, maximize this, maximize that. They're a salesman, run for the door. They're getting a commission, period. Well, on the issue of uh, where you should live and maybe what you should invest into as far as properties go. Another question comes in saying, uh, hey, my friends say that real estate is the best wealth builder. Another financial product comes close. Surely the value of homes in Metro Vancouver cannot continue to rise as they did over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. Aren't the liberals changing capital gains exemption on primary residences, meaning you'll get taxed on growth anyway? How do you relate to that? I don't think they're going to touch that. It would be political suicide. Um, it would get reversed in a second with another um, party for sure. I think what they do, and this is what all parties do, so I'm not being a liberal basher. Well, I am a liberal basher a bit too. I'm not a very liberal basher. I'm just a Trudeau basher. Um, I did vote liberal at a time in my life, so there you go. They, the parties all do this. Conservatives, liberals, NDP in this province, whatever. They all float a bunch of ideas out there, see the response, just to gauge the public sentiment, and then they choose things. They will first go to things like different income tax levels. They will go to things like um, delaying CPP, maybe a little more of a clawback on old age security. There's lots of other things they're going to go to. The funniest one, though, is we're going to make the super wealthy pay. People better not go make more than a couple hundred thousand dollars. You're now considered super wealthy. Yes, that's a great income. No complaints from people. That's a great income. But you could also have great expenses at $200,000. <clears> Here's a stat for you. If you took everyone who made over $250,000 in Canada and you just took all their money, forget the tax, you just took their money and put it towards this debt that Trudeau now has put us into with his COVID response measures. I'm not saying they're good or bad. I'm just talking economics and finances here, people. I'll throw darts at the screen. But if you took all that money, that's my screen. It would, if you took all that money, it would be like trying to empty Niagara Falls with a little dropper, like a little eyedropper. It, it would do absolutely nothing. This is all politics and scam politics. Get people riled up. Let's make those rich people pay. They'll take care of the debt. Would, even put, would not even put a drop in the debt. It's just to gather votes from the people who are at the other end of the spectrum, unfortunately, in the lower incomes, making them think that's the solution because that's what they want to do to get votes. Pure out, plain, simple. It's absolute BS. It's a lie. It will not do it. It will not do anything. Here's the thing. Think about this. You're the lower income earner. You're the socialist. That's the term we use for those people who think everything should be equal. Forget capitalism. Make everyone pay. Think about this. What does the socialist do when the capitalist or the super rich 
has no more money because you made them pay it all out. Then where do you get the money from? They have none left. Then what happens? Then you have anarchy and suddenly the wall crash down and you have no more (laughs) communism. Uh, That's what happens. It just disappears. Think about that next time you're saying, make those super rich pay. Here's the fact. The actual, this is an economic fact, not a political fact. This is a fact. And this is where the conservatives were. Harper was going and I was not a big Harper fan his last years. So I'm not touting Harper. This is a fact. They were going to a 0% corporate tax. What happens if corporations don't pay tax? They hire more people who earn money, who pay income tax. They put way more money into research and development, which hires more people, which creates more product, which allows people to spend more money, who pay more income tax. And their shareholders earn more dividends. Dividends are taxed. Dividends get spent in the economy. Simple, factual solution. Every time a country goes to lower taxes on their corporations, they have a better financial outlook for all their citizens. And guess what happens? Unemployment shrinks rapidly because people are working. Simple economic facts, not speculation. Those are the facts. Well, it's important to have those facts. I think we have time for a couple more. Uh, So if it's not real estate, if it's not uh, the government that's currently uh, active, then it's all about taxes. Oh, <laughs> those are the things you can on. count on. You know what yes. the average real estate return is? Even in BC, 5%. That's the average real estate return over time. It's not as big as people Not say. the golden nugget is what you're saying. <clears throat> no, you have to time it just right. Like, like buying investments. You have to time it just right. Market timing is sell it at that peak to make way more. And that does happen. It can happen. But you've got to be savvy because what if, and I know a lot of people, 2015 was our big balloon in real estate last time. What if you weren't ready to retire and sell them? And now you're ready to retire. There's a lot of places where the houses now are worth considerably less than they were in 2015. Yeah, it's uh, at one point, I think there were plenty of uh, good news stories with that. And, and that seems to be attached to one certain pocket of time. So maybe, maybe we're all realizing that it can be uh, not exactly the, the big gold nugget that we thought either. So let's get the taxes. Uh, the complaint is, so I don't know if this is one person or the masses writing in here, taxes are too high in BC, <laughs> especially when you consider the high PST on everything you buy, the extra carbon taxes uh, and transit taxes, uh, gas tax. So how can you pay less in taxes Keep more take-home pay um, because it's certainly affecting, you know, no matter what line of work you're in, some are more affected, some are less affected, but it affects everybody. Well, here's the thing. Since the takeover, and it is a takeover because remember, Horgan didn't win the election. He joined with the Green Party to take the election and take the, take the leadership. That was his right. That's the rules. Fair enough. He played fair and square, sort of. Um, don't ask the Green Party if he pays fair and square with the deal he made with them because they didn't come out smelling like a rose with what he promised. But our taxes went from about the second lowest and lowest in certain categories in Canada to the second highest overall in Canada in a very short three-year period. We've gone from second lowest in taxes under Christy Clark. She had her faults. Don't get me wrong. She's a politician. Of course, she has lots of faults to the second highest taxes. You have to contact a tax expert 
a registered financial planner to always stay one step ahead. I am constantly working at how do I create a plan? And it's not just people buy RSPs, doing the house thing, getting tax deductible fees on your investment. You always have to look at one step ahead to take the government rules and work around them legally to stay ahead of the government. And it's, it's, a, it's challenging. It's always doable. There's always a way, but you can't just buy RSPs. But here's what people do. And here's the solution of the mutual fund salespeople in the bank. Buy more RSPs, you'll get a tax deduction. Okay, you're in a 49% tax bracket and you buy so much in RSPs that you're down to a 25% tax bracket. Guess what? You just got back 24% less on your taxes. And I'm going to give you an exact example from this year. Exact to the penny. Mm. We had a gentleman come in who got a kind of a, a windfall in money. Um, big bonus at work. Very high income earner. Uh, new to our company and he wanted us to do his taxes. He put $25,000 into an RSP and he got about 11, he got $11,300 and change back was his refund. I said, that's awesome. It's great. Well, his bonus was over 50 grand. I've got, I'm going to put another 25,000 in. I'll be up to almost $22,000, in refund. This is great. And I'll put that in my savings. Very well thought out scenario because the, the $50,000 gave him a huge boost to retirement that he hadn't really started yet. One problem. It put him in so low of a tax bracket, his $11,300 refund only went up to 11,500 and change. The extra $25,000 got him nothing back because all 50,000 now was taxed at a much, much lower tax rate. Buying RSPs, the RSP deadline date in February is this artificially created date like Valentine's Day to get you to spend way more money than you would on every other day of the year. You know when you should say your RSP deadline date is? Somewhere between June 30th and July 31st in a year where markets traditionally are at their lowest because they do have some regress after RSP season, supply and demand. People aren't buying them. They're not thinking RSP season. You can't really time the market, but get ahead of the game. Work with your registered financial planner. Plan to buy your RSPs earlier so you're not scrambling at the last minute. And if that's all you do in your plan is – calculate what you need each year roughly on RSPs just to start to get you ahead of the game, you're already so many steps ahead on your plan. Maybe it's not the full plan, but you're way ahead. And that is a good start. And it prevents you from over-purchasing RSPs because the demand is there from the banker telling you to buy them now or how are you going to retire? And it just gets you ahead of the game and allows you to put the money away properly without overspending and reducing your tax refund. Why leave the money with the government? You should keep it. You need it. Like the advice you heard today, I know I did. And uh, we're so thankful for everyone's feedback and questions for Peter. Peter Sashecki, president of Everything Financial. Well, you can uh, start saving your money, planning for your retirement, planning to take care of yourself, your family, your loved ones with a visit to the website, everythingfinancial.com. That is uh, the home of the Omni Formula, of course. And now you're Everything Mortgages too. So you, have, uh, you continue to add ways to help people and help grow their money. That'll do it for episode five, Peter, just like that. The Your Money Personal Finance Podcast uh, is complete for episode five. Now, a quick, quick reminder to hit subscribe. Join us on uh, all the podcast platforms, 
on YouTube as well. You can rate the podcast, review it, let us know what you think, and get those questions coming in. Your money at everythingfinancial.com is a place to do that, just like the people did today to have your question answered by Peter. Thanks for listening and watching to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. Thanks, John. Have a great day.